First Chronicles chapter 2 is where we're going to begin our study here tonight. So James also has been helping with the high school group, and it's been a tremendous blessing. And we're really looking forward uh, to what the Lord is doing. And uh, also be praying for uh, James and Mary Beth, because Mary Beth is expecting her fourth child. So, and uh, so we want to pray for them. So that, that's part of our church growth program. So... Uh, <laughs> We read in chapter 2 of 1 Chronicles that these are the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And of course, as we opened up 1 Chronicles last week, 1 Chronicles is uh, covering the same period of Jewish history that's described to us in 2 Samuel through 2 Kings. And so what we're going to be looking at once again is the reign of David uh, as he reigned over Israel, and also uh, Solomon, uh, who would take the, the throne after the death of David. He would build the first temple, and then the kings of Judah. And one of the things that First and Second Chronicles does is just focus on the kings of Judah. We're not going to be talking and looking at the kings of Israel, the ten northern tribes, like we did when we were going through first and second kings and also as i mentioned last week that first and second chronicles has a little bit different perspective than first and second kings and that is that that the books of first and second kings had more of a political perspective on the stories that are being told what we're going to see is we see these stories being reiterated once again that it's more of a spiritual perspective. And that's what I like about First and Second Chronicles so much, that we get a little bit more detail what was going on spiritually in the nation and with these kings that were ruling over Judah. So in the first nine chapters of First Chronicle, what we hear, have here is a lot of genealogy, a lot of names. And as I mentioned last week, that these names are recorded here in the scriptures in First Chronicles. And you'll see more genealogy later on and also in Second Chronicles. But genealogy was very important back in ancient Israel. God doesn't give these names just to fill up space, but there's a reason for it. First of all, uh, inheritance was very, very important. Inheritance that would, as, uh, would pass through the family, so they would keep track of genealogy. And, of course, as the children of Israel went into the Promised Land, as you read in the book of Joshua, you see the different tribes that are there, the different families that are mentioned. And so as uh, the nation began to grow, inheritance was important. As you were given an inheritance of land, to pass that inheritance on to your family. So genealogy was the record in which you could keep and then also it was very hard to lose that land um, and some cases you did lose it and then it would go to a kinsman redeemer to be able to stay in the family and there was options for that uh, original owner or the family to get the land back so all that was helpful to know the genealogy second of all we know that we're going to see that the tribe of Levi is going to be mentioned a lot the, the genealogy here and we know that the tribe of Levi that out of that tribe was the priestly tribe uh, out of the direct descendants of Aaron came the priests who did the work of the sacrifices and the work in the tabernacle and in the temple when Solomon built his temple. They were the only ones that were allowed in the, the tabernacle or in the temple. And they did the service that is prescribed to us there in the book of Leviticus. And only, again, the direct descendants of Aaron were allowed to do that. And then the rest of the families of the Levites would assist in the ministry, assisting the priests, and they had certain 
duties that were given to them that are given to us there in Numbers chapter 4. And also, as we're going to see here, we're going to have a little bit of a look at some of the other duties that they did, particularly when they built the temple. There's gatekeepers, there's musicians, there's those who did the washing of the pans, those who, you know, work with fabric and all that. There was a lot that was being done. And so the Levites were ones that had to keep careful record of their genealogy because you weren't allowed to do those things unless you were in that tribe and uh, of Levi, the priestly tribe. And so that was an important reason why genealogy. And then also, as we discuss, that those who were hearing the claims that Jesus was the Messiah, that we know that the prophecies said that he would come from the line of David and also that he would come from the tribe of Judah. And so they would be able to look at the genealogy of Jesus and see that he fulfilled those prophecies and it would help the skeptics realize that Jesus did fulfill the prophecies of Messiah, including the genealogical records that are described to us that he would come from the line of David and also from uh, the tribe of Judah. And that's what the rest of chapter 2 begins to tell us about from Judah, the genealogy, to David. And as we started out chapter 2, and again, I'm not going to go through and read all of these names. We're just going to survey these uh, chapters, and I think we're going to learn a lot as we do look at some of these names that that we're going to highlight. But of course, uh, as we read in in verse 1 of chapter 2, that the sons of Israel, and Israel again, another name of Jacob, You recall that in Genesis chapter 2, we ended last week talking about how it was Jacob. His name means heel snatcher. His name means deceiver. And he was one that was very resourceful. He was one that really had it together. And he uh, was one that uh, was always, you know, scheming. And and you can read the book of Genesis and see how he got the birthright from Esau and how he tricked his father into receiving the blessing. And then he was always dealing with his uncle Laban. But there came a time where he found himself alone. They're at the brook Jabbok on the east side of the Jordan River, and uh, he had Esau, his brother, coming at him with 400 men. His uncle Laban that he had a fallout with was behind him. He couldn't go anywhere. And all of a sudden, a man snuck up on him. It was the Lord, and he wrestled with the Lord, and the Lord said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Uh, The Lord knew his name, but he had to say, my name is Deceiver, Heel Snatcher. And the Lord said, you are now going to be called Israel, which means governed by God. So we talked about that as we ended our study last week. So Israel, another name of Jacob, and and Jacob is the covenant passed from Abraham, as we saw in chapter 1, the genealogy from uh, Adam to Abraham. Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation, where the covenant would go through. But also he would have a son with Hagar, Ishmael, who was the father of the Arabs. And then as we saw that Abraham had a son Isaac, and Isaac had twins, Esau and Jacob, and the covenant would pass through Jacob. And Jacob would have 12 sons that are listed here, what we read in the two uh, verses of chapter 2, First Chronicles, and they are the patriarchs to the 12 tribes of Israel. Just kind of a little side note, sometimes people say, it's a little confusing, is there 12 tribes or is there 13 tribes? Well, Jacob had 12 sons, and his son Joseph, as you know from the book of Genesis, he had two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, that became a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. So when Joshua went into the promised land, he divided up the land to 12 
12 tribes each got their allotment and that would include Ephraim and Manasseh matter of fact half of the tribe of Manasseh was on the east side of the Jordan River half of the tribe of Manasseh was on the west side and so that's why people get a little bit confused because Joseph's sons, Jacob's grandsons, were included in the tribes of Israel. And as we begin to see verse 3 following, now we have the genealogy of Judah to David. Again, Judah was the tribe that the Messiah would come from, and David, again, from the line of David, the royal uh, line of David, would come Messiah as well. So we read in verse 3 that the sons of Judah were Ur and Onan and Shelah, and these three were born to him by the daughter of Shua, the Canaanitess. Ur, the firstborn of Judah, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so he killed him. In verse 4, And Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bore him Perez and Zerah. All the sons of Judah were five. So here we have this genealogy where the Messiah is going to come from this tribe. And you would initially think that, I'm sure that these were great men of God and, and marked by holiness, but that's not the case whatsoever. Matter of fact, we see that the eldest son of Judah was Ur, and we're told that he was killed. He was, did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord. We know that Genesis chapter 38 tells us that as well. And then also his second son, Onan, that was born to him, he did wickedly as well, so God ended up striking him. And then there was Shelah that was left. And you know that the, according to the law, if you married somebody and you did not have a son uh, for the inheritance to continue, any children, and as you were married, if the husband died, what happened was is that the widow was to marry his brother and have a child with you know, the dead husband's brother so he could carry on the dead brother's name. So that's what was happening here. Ur marries you know, uh, Tamar, and uh, they don't have any children, so he ends up dying. So, hey, you need to marry Onan, and uh, they don't have any children. And so it was go to Shelah, as you read in chapter 38 of the book of Genesis. Judah says, uh-uh, he's too young for you to marry and have a child with. So here is Tamar. She's barren. She doesn't have any children. She realizes that Judah is not going to give, you know, the third brother to her as a wife to have the son, to be able to carry on the inheritance of her uh, first husband. And so what she does as you read that chapter is that she dresses up as a harlot. She knows that Judah, her father-in-law, is going to be passing through this area she's told that she heavily veils herself she's there on the road and judah comes by and what does judah do he gives into the temptation and he asks for her services and and she says what are you going to give me well i'll give you a goat but i don't have the goat with me but i still want to have relations with you and so as he says that she says well give me a down payment so he ends up giving a seal and his cord and his staff as a down payment, and then he leaves. And it would be a few months later that the word comes back to Judah that Tamar, that she's with child. She played Harley and she's with child. And Judah was so upset that he said, she needs to be burned. She did this wicked thing. How could she do this? So they bring her to Judah, and, and Judah says, we're going to deal with you. We're going to burn you. And she says, before you do that, I'm going to show you the possessions that were given to me. 
the down payment, if you would, of the man who impregnated me, and that is, here is his seal, his, his cord, and his staff, and it was Judah's. And he realized that he was the one because he didn't realize that it was Tamar when he had relations with her. And he said that I am more wicked than she is. She's more righteous than I am. And out of that would come uh, the sons of Tamar, Perez, and Zerah. And out of Perez, through that line, would come the Messiah. But there's an important lesson there in Genesis chapter 38. As, you know, as hard as that story is to read, that the Lord is showing us that you can try to hide sin, but your sin will find you out. And one of the great deceptions of the enemy to people is you can go ahead and sin, whether it's with immorality or whether you're watching things that you shouldn't be, pulling up things on the computer, whether you are uh, involved in something that is sinful and, and deceitful and not honest in your business or whatever it might be. The great deception that the enemy will try to get you to believe is nobody's going to find out. You can hide it. And I've had many that over the years of ministry have told me, I didn't think that anyone would find out that I was involved in this sin. I didn't think that I was hurting anyone. And they were deceived in that. Your sin will find you out, just as it was with Judah. He thought that, you know what, no deal. He probably forgot about it, and all of a sudden this came up. And she says, uh, by the way, if you're going to burn me, here is your staff, and here is your you know, bracelet, and here is your seal. Seal speaks of identity. Uh, the bracelet speaks of, of possession. Uh, the staff speaks of possession and position. He was a shepherd. And you see, there are those who ruin their, their reputation. They, they, they ruin and end up, um, you know, ruining their family, their marriages, even their position because of sin. And they thought that no one would find out. So don't fall into that deception. And so here is the, the line of Judah that's being spoken of here. In verses 5 through 7, we see that in verse 7, there is mentioned the son of Carmi was Achar, the troubler of Israel, who transgressed in the accursed things. Remember his story in Joshua chapter 7? Joshua chapter 7, the children of Israel had just come into the promised land. And the first battle that they did battle with was, of course, Jericho. And it was Joshua was told, tell the children of Israel when they go to battle against Jericho, when the walls come down and they take the spoils, that the spoils belong to me. You see, the Lord was to get the first fruits. And then after Jericho, you can keep the spoils. But all the spoils belong to me. They're to be dedicated to me. And do not take any of the idols or the accursed things. And if anyone does, then trouble's going to come to Israel. Well, you know the story that the walls of Jericho came down. They defeated Jericho. After that, they were to go to war against Ai. That was the next battle. Ai in the Hebrew means small. It's just a small village. And so Joshua sends about 3,000 men up there to kind of wipe it out and do it in as they're conquering the land. Well, it ended up that the children of Israel, those 3,000 guys, ended up being defeated. They come back. Joshua cries out to the Lord. And here is Joshua that's saying, Lord, why did you bring us into the promised land to be defeated? And it was the Lord that said, Joshua, listen, there's sin in the camp. There is sin in the camp, and you need to deal with it. So Joshua calls the, the 12 tribes together. He singles out one tribe. Then he singles out a family. Then he singles out Achan. And he says, Achan, what did you do? What did you do, you troubler of Israel? And Achan confesses, well, 
I stole a Babylonian garment and I took some gold and some silver and I hid them. And so they took Achan out and they stoned him. You see, once again, we see that's reminded of us in this chapter is here as Achan thought that he could hide this sin. And again, it reminds us that you can't hide it. And here as it was found out that they brought his family out to that valley and they would experience serious repercussions because of what Achan had done. Listen, the other deception is not only the deception of thinking that no one's going to find out, but I've also had people tell me when they get involved in sin that nobody's getting hurt. And that's another great deception. Because you see, it's not just about you. And when you are sinning, the people that are linked to you in your life, your spouse, your family, the people that love you, brothers and sisters in the Lord, that are close to you, that care about you, that when that sin is found out and the repercussions of it come out, that a whole lot of people get hurt. Don't just think it's about you. So we're reminded of these things as we look at these individuals that are mentioned here. And, and Achan, of course, was taken and stoned. And as you continue, verse 11, I just want to point out, Nashon begot Salma, and Salma begot Boaz. Boaz is the one in the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, who took a bride. And he's a picture of our uh, kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, the one who redeemed us, purchased us. He, he redeemed us with this precious blood, and now we are the bride of Christ. It's a wonderful story that we have in the Old Testament. And then in verses 12 through 15, what you have there is Jesse. Um, he, he is the father of David and Jesse's son. The first one, Eliab, you recall that it was uh, Samuel the prophet that came and was going to anoint the new king of Israel there in Bethlehem. And he saw Eliab and he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Look how tall he is how handsome he is and the lord rebuked samuel and said don't look at his outward appearance but the lord sees and i see what man does and that is the heart and so it was the youngest of jesse's sons david that would be anointed of course the king of israel and uh, through david would come the messiah and interesting as you look at david the seventh in verse 15 he also had a couple sisters uh, there was zeruiah and Abigail and the sons of Zeruiah were Abishai, Joab, and Asl, three. And then Abigail bore Amasa. So David's nephews, as you remember from Second Samuel, they, they were the ones that would serve David in his military. Joab, his nephew here, born to Zeruiah, David's sister, he's the one that commanded David's army for many many years he was a great warrior but he was also kind of a loose cannon if you recall particularly from second samuel he kind of did what he wanted to do and we also know that joab um, he ended up killing david's son absalom absalom who came along in second samuel chapter 18 he usurped the throne from david uh, stole the hearts of the men of israel away he came to sit on the throne of israel david had to flee jerusalem and it was Joab that ended up going with David. So it was Absalom uh, and the men of Israel that went to war against David and his mighty men. And David told Joab and the others, listen, do not kill my son Absalom, 
but Joab ended up doing it. He ignored David's orders. He killed Absalom. And because of that, we know that David ended up firing Joab. But what is interesting is, is that he replaced Joab with his other nephew who was born to Abigail, Amasa. Amasa mentioned there in verse 17. Now what's interesting about it is you might recall that in 2 Samuel chapter 18, who was leading the troops for Absalom? It was Amasa. And why David would take this one, this nephew, who was sided with his son to come against him, no one really knows. But he was so mad at Joab, he said, Amasa, you end up taking the troops. Well, what ended up happening is Amasa delayed in gathering the troops for a problem that would arise because Amasa really wasn't with David, and we know that Joab ended up killing him. So there's all this that was going on in David's family. And then we see in verses 18 through 23, the family of Hezron. And then also we see in verses 25 through uh, 41, the family of Jeremiah, and then you have the family of Caleb in the rest of the chapter. And uh, again, uh, the names that are there, I'm not going to go over it. This Caleb here that's mentioned in verse 42 of chapter 2 is not the Caleb uh, that is mentioned in the book of Joshua, you know, that uh, him and Joshua were the, were the ones uh, that were the only ones that went into the promised land that came out of Egypt. All the rest of them died out in the wilderness. Chapter 3, what we have here is the family of Judah that is mentioned here. And we see the family of David um, that uh, actually in chapter 3, the family of David that is mentioned there. And in um, this, we see that first it is mentioned his wives that were with him in Hebron, as you go to verse 4 of chapter 3. These six were born to him in Hebron. There he reigned seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. In other words, when David was king, he was king for 40 years. Seven years in Hebron. In Hebron he had six wives that are mentioned here in the first three verses of chapter 3. And there were six sons. There was Ammon, who was the oldest of David's son. And Ammon, you recall in 2 Samuel chapter 13, he ended up raping his half-sister Tamar. And he ended up being killed by his brother Absalom, his half-brother Absalom. The second one listed here is Daniel. We don't know anything about him. Either he died at a young age or he was totally ungodly and is not mentioned. The third one, Absalom, we just talked about him. And then the fourth one listed here is Adonijah. Remember Adonijah in 1 Kings? He's the one that tried to become the king after David. David was sick. They knew he was going to die. Adonijah set himself up as being king and tried to take the throne away from Solomon. So uh, we read all of that. So those were the sons born to him in Hebron. And then those born to him in Jerusalem. And you can go through there. But we have here born to him from Bathsheba or Bathsheba there in verse 5, Solomon and Nathan. Now don't confuse Nathan with Nathan the prophet. But here's an interesting thought. Here's Bathsheba, you know the story, 2 Samuel chapter 11, how David sinned with Bathsheba. And who was it that came to David uh, and told him that story to where David would confess his sin? It was Nathan the prophet, wasn't it? So Nathan the prophet tells him, you know what, David, we got a problem in the kingdom. A rich man took a poor man's sheep and, um, you know, and uh, killed it. And David was so upset. He said, that man must surely die. And Nathan looked at him and said, you're the man, David. You took Bathsheba. And um, 
And so David confessed his sin. What is interesting here is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says that faithful are the uh, wounds of a friend. In other words, it really is a sign of love when someone speaks the truth in love, as Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 tells us that we are to do. And I believe, listen, that David so much appreciated Nathan the prophet in his honesty that he decides to name one of his sons after him. Sometimes we're afraid to, to go to a brother or sister and in love tell them that, you know what, what you're doing is sin, or this is wrong, or, you know, your attitude is all wrong, or to bring correction and rebuke to them, and we are to do it out of love, that they may confess it, that there may be forgiveness, there may be a restoring uh, that, that relationship and closeness with the Lord once again. And sometimes we're afraid to do that, and sometimes we think they'll hate us, but oftentimes that people will appreciate it. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know I was blinded to this, and, and, um, and you're right. And I need to repent, and I need to come and confess it to the Lord. And David so much appreciated Nathan the prophet, I think he named his son Nathan after him. Solomon, the other one born to Bathsheba, he's, of course, the one that built the first temple, and we'll read more about him. And then in verses 10 through 16, we have the family of Solomon to Rehoboam. Remember that the kingdom would split under Rehoboam all the way to Zedekiah, the last king of Judah before the captivity. And then in verses 17 through 24, the descendants of the line of David after the fall of Judah, and they would carry the royal line of David. And then chapter 4, we have the family of Judah, and you can read the names there, but I want to draw attention to verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, and your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, and that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. I like these two verses here. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now, in chapter 2, verse 55, just what we read there is the families of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez. So there was a town, there was a village in Israel that was named Jabez. It was named after this Jabez here where the scribes lived. So it was a community uh, of, you know, scribes, the intellectual community. Uh, it would be considered with the scribes living there. Jabez being more honorable than his brothers. He was one that was pleasing to the Lord. And it's interesting that Jabez, his name means sorrowful. His name means pain. So oftentimes when somebody was born... They would be born, you know, and called, you know, concerning the circumstances around their birth. Like Esau and Jacob, we talked about last week. Remember Esau? He came out, and Esau means in the Hebrew, hairy. So here is this little baby that came out. He had a hair all over him. So they said, hmm, we'll name him Harry, Esau. And then Jacob came out holding on to his heel. So it was Isaac and Rebekah that said, we're going to name him. We're going to name him Jacob, which means heel snatcher. 
So oftentimes their names would be, you know, called according to oftentimes the circumstances surrounding their birth. And here was Jabez, that his name means sorrowful or pain. And so many scholars believe that his mother probably suffered pain or sorrow during the birthing process. And, um, and we don't know for sure, but that very well could have been. And there was some kind of pain or sorrow that Jabez would bring as he was being born, and so they called him Jabez. And can you imagine, you know, all your life that, oh, here comes Jabez, you know, here comes sorrow, here comes pain. But we learn something from this individual in these two verses that I think are very important. Whatever it was, that there was pain and there was sorrow in Jabez's life. And yet, in that pain and sorrow in his life, He was more honorable than his brothers. And he honored God and he pleased God. And I just want to remind you and me once again that in our lives, all of us go through some pain and sorrow in our life. All of us experience it. None of us are exempt from that. It rains on the just and the unjust. Jesus said you will have tribulation. Not that you might have tribulation, but you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And Peter talks about that you will go through various trials, the same with James as well. We all go through some kind of pain and sorrow. We go through loss. We go through difficulties. We, we go through confusion. We, we go through hard times, whatever it might be. But even in the difficulties, I want to remind you that you can honor the Lord and you can please the Lord. And that's what the Lord desires for us to do, to turn to him, to trust him, to rest in his love. And to know that in those times we can be men and women of prayer. And that's what Jabez was. He honored the Lord and he pleased the Lord because he was a man of prayer. And you read that prayer in verse 10. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil and that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Now, a lot of you know that several years ago, there was a popular book that was out that was called The Prayer of Jabez. And it became very popular. And unfortunately, what happened as a result of that is that ministry and churches were getting together and, um, and they were reading the book, which was fine. But what they did was they took it to kind of an extreme to where they said, we got to pray the prayer of Jabez. we got to pray the prayer of Jabez. And they kind of used it as a formula for abundant blessing. That God's going to give us a bigger church and, you know, more money and more people and all of this. And so they would repeat the prayer over and over again. And I remember people saying, well, I'm going to pray the prayer of Jabez over and over and over again. And we know that when we just do that kind of repetitious kind of prayer, it's not pleasing to the Lord, is it? So unfortunately, that would come out. Uh, because of, of, you know, the prayer of Jabez. Just say the prayer of Jabez and God will bless you and increase your territory and and all of this that will happen to you. But the other side of the spectrum is that there have been those who have dismissed this prayer. And it really is a wonderful prayer that we can learn from. And we can learn that there are four things that Jabez prayed about. And as we look at it carefully, we can really see that, remember, that this is a man that he was called Jabez. There was pain and sorrow that was in his life. uh, And he was one that honored the Lord and he pleased the Lord. And he pleased and honored the Lord because he was a man of prayer. So what was it that he was really praying about? He first of all said, oh, that you would bless me indeed. And what happened is some took that to mean that 
the Lord blessed me indeed, certainly with health and, and prosperity and great worldly success. Why is it when we see that there are those godly men in the scriptures that are praying, God bless me, that we automatically we attach a material worldly thing to it and priority? Of course, the Lord is going to bless with health and wealth and, and you name it and claim it and prosperity and worldly success. I'm not saying that God can't bless us materially, but it's always the priority when we see that the Lord desires to bless us, that he desires to bless us in the heavenlies. He desires to bless us concerning our relationship with him. He wants to bless us with joy, with peace, with direction, with strength, and with wisdom. He desires for us to experience that abundant life, and that abundant life includes just a closer relationship with him. Bless me, Lord. And that blessing can come even as we see from Jabez and as we learn from Jacob as we talked about him. Blessing can come in the times of pain. As Jacob would be wrestling with the Lord there in Genesis chapter 32, and Jacob said, bless me. I won't let you go till you bless me. And the Lord touched the hip of Jacob, and it came out of socket. Now, any of us that have had a, you know, a joint come out, that it's very painful, and that would be very painful for Jacob. But Jacob, you are now going to be Israel, and Jacob had to lean on a cane because his hip came out of joint, but he was learning to lean on the Lord more and more in his life and to come to that point of Israel governed by God. And that's a blessing. Anytime that we come to the point of, Lord, I want to trust you more and learn more about you and live in your love and, Lord, just walk in your wisdom, that is blessing and true blessing. And I believe that's what Jabez was praying about. Lord, I want to know you more. I just want to be one that walks in your ways. I want to walk uh, in what you have for me, in your strength and in your wisdom. Even if there's pain in my life and sorrow in my life. And it's in those times that we can turn to the Lord and grow in a deeper fellowship and relationship with him. Second of all, enlarge my territory is what he prayed as we see in verse 10 here. Was Jabez praying for a bigger home and a, a faster camel or whatever it might be? <laughs> it's interesting when you read the Hebrew here, Adam Clark and Matthew Poole and some of the other scholars, they conclude that what he is really praying here is, is he's praying for something that would include, you know, greater dangerous service for God. In other words, enlarge my territory. So what they believe is what he was praying for is that enlarge my territory with disciples, with godly individuals, and to drive out those who are sinners, those who are unholy. He would pray, Lord, enlarge my territory to drive out the wicked, perhaps the Canaanites, and advance the cause of godliness. He had a city, as that's why I mentioned, that the family of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez, these were men who were dedicated to the Lord and to the word of the Lord. Enlarge my territory. Enlarge my territory. In other words, that I want more of you, Lord, in godliness, and I want to have a godly influence on others and drive out the darkness. And that's what I pray for us, that we in 
in this church family that as we pray, Lord, enlarge our territory, what does that mean? That I want to be able to give the gospel and the word of God to more and more people through the radio program as we are here on Wednesdays and Sundays, more people coming that are hungry for the word of God, learning the word of God chapter by chapter and verse by verse, ministering to our young people. I'm so excited what the Lord is doing here. And that's what it means to enlarge our territory. It's not, oh, we got to get a bigger building, and we got to have more programs, and we got to do all of this. You know what? We want to be led by the Lord. But more than anything, we want to storm the darkness. And what my prayer is, is as we're on the radio airwaves, that as you go out and minister, that as we are committed to teaching the Word of God, that we're storming the darkness. And that we are helping people to grow in the Lord and grow in his word and encourage people and encourage our young people. That's why we take our youth so seriously. That's why I'm so excited about opportunities to minister to more kids because Satan is working overtime on our kids and there's so much darkness that is out there. I want us to expand our territories. Lord, give us more to minister to that we may be able to grow them in the Lord and encourage them. People coming to Christ, getting saved. It's absolutely wonderful to see the Lord doing that. So that's what we want to do. We want to be influence others. And I pray that for your family, that you would be a godly influence to your kids and to your grandkids, bringing godliness to them and holiness, as we talked about in our series on a family last month. That we would say, Lord, enlarge my territory. Lord, in other words, I don't want the darkness to come into my home but I want to leave a godly inheritance to my family, to my kids, whoever's linked to me in my life. Thirdly, we see that he prayed that your hand would be with me. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot save. God's hand being mentioned here, it speaks of provision, it speaks of protection, it speaks of him working in a mighty way. Remember on Sunday, as the gospel is going to the Gentiles, an Antioch revival breaks out and people are getting saved. And you remember that we read, because the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord was working there in Antioch. And I love to see the hand of the Lord that's working here in, in, in your family, in, in your life individually. I love to see the, the hand of the Lord working in this church family. It's absolutely amazing. As people are growing in the Lord and coming to Christ and people are, are wanting to get involved in ministry, our young people are excited. And that excites me. And to see that our young people are wanting to go to the mission field, wanting to get involved in ministry, wanting to serve, is such a tremendous blessing. The hand of the Lord is working in this place. So we need to be praying. We need to continue to keep our eyes on the Lord. Because I believe he wants to do so much more, especially in the days in which we're living in. There is so much darkness that is out there that the Lord wants to work in this little fellowship, desiring for people to come to Christ and to know Christ and service for Christ. So the hand of the Lord that was working, that's what he was praying for. And then fourthly, the fourth thing, keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. As we started out our teaching here, There was Judah, there was Achan that caused pain to their family because of sin. Sin causes pain, not only to you, but to others. And what my prayer is, and what your prayer I know is, is that we would be ones that, I don't want to cause any more, 
I don't want to cause pain. I don't want to cause pain. Jabez, my name is pain and sorrowful. I don't want to cause it to others. So, Lord, I want to live in holiness. And I want to live for you. And it says that God honored his prayer. And I believe that as we pray like that, understanding what these four things really are, that, Lord, bless me. I want to know you more. I I want to draw closer to you. I want to be guided by you. I want to experience that abundant life. That, that, Lord, that I, I want to expand my territory, in other words, my influence of godliness to those who are around me. I want to see your hand working in my family and and in this church family. And Lord, I don't want to cause evil on anyone. I don't want to cause harm to anyone. And especially, Lord, I don't want to hurt your heart because when we do sin, we hurt the heart of God. And God will honor that prayer as we learn from the prayer of Jabez. Well, as we finish very quickly here, verses 11 through 14 of the chapter, we see that um, here is a community of craftsmen Uh, and they are listed here. And then verses 15 through 23, we have the names in verse 21, the house of linen workers, and then verse 23, those who work with pottery. And they would deal uh, um, with pottery. And um, it's interesting here. You think, well, why would the Lord, you know, name those who work with linens, those who work with, you know, pottery, We're going to see the gatekeepers that are mentioned, the musicians and all of this. And I'll tell you why, and I'm going to leave you with this. Because it was important to God. And maybe you're here tonight and you think, well, whatever I do for the Lord, it can't be that important. It's very important to Him. Whatever the Lord has for you, whatever gifts He has for you, whatever calling He puts on your life, Don't ever think that as you serve the Lord, whatever that might mean for you, that, you know, God doesn't really see it as insignificant. No, it's very significant. Whether you're working in the nursery, ministering to the children, working in the coffee shop, handing out bulletins, if you're working on the yard, if you come in and you clean the church, as you are ones that you're just making meals for others, maybe you're serving in the community, as you serve your family, don't think that's, that is insignificant. It's very important to the Lord. And he sees it and it pleases him. And here we see that these names are mentioned. Those who work with linens, those who work with pottery, we'll see that more and more specifically. God has something for you to do. And it's very important. Only you can do it. And what he has called you to do and the giftings that he's given to you. So please the Lord with it and know that as you do, and you do that unto the Lord, that it pleases Him and it advances the kingdom of God. And the Lord sees it, and He's going to reward you for it as you do it out of your love for Jesus Christ because what He has done for us in dying on Calvary's cross for us. So don't ever think that your ministry, whatever that might mean, mom, as you're raising your kids up in the ways of the Lord, dad, as you're providing for your family, as you're praying for people, whatever it might be that's pleasing to the Lord, it is very significant to him. And he loves to see his people furthering the kingdom of God, whatever he has for you. So the body of Christ, so that we can work together and function the way that we're supposed to. Well, we're going to end there. As Father, we thank you so much for just these names that are here and just highlighting a few names and learning from these chapters. And Lord, I just pray that tonight, that as we close here tonight, I thank you again for this opportunity to be here and study these things. And 
as we look at the genealogy from Judah to David and then David, as we will see, that came our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the work that he did in going to Calvary's cross for our sins. And Father, I just pray that tonight, if anyone is here, that one of the other lessons that we can learn is our names are important to you. You know our names. And you desire for us to have our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. As we come to you in faith and trust, knowing that we have a need for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came and died for our sins. And I just want to pray if there's anyone here tonight or if you're out in a coffee shop, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that we want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know for sure if if you were to die, if you would go to heaven. Or if your life came and then you don't know if you're right with God, get right with the Lord tonight. Today is the day of salvation. He loves you. And it's faith and trust in Jesus Christ and who he is, the Son of God, and what he did for you. He died on Calvary's cross for your sins, knowing that, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't make it to heaven on our own. You see, it's the law that declares us guilty. And we cannot earn our way to heaven. It's a free gift. As you give your faith, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and come to him. In him alone. He alone died for you. He alone rose from the grave. You see, he's alive. He conquered sin and death. And he loves you so much. He's the only one that's provided forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and right relationship with the Father. Will you come to him if that means anything to anyone here tonight? Will you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ? You come in faith. And you pray, Jesus, I confess right now that I am a sinner. And I know that I need the Savior of the world, and that is you. Jesus, I believe you died on Calvary's cross for my sins. Forgive me. And I believe that you were put into a grave and you rose again from the grave. And that you're alive and you're knocking on the door of my heart. And I open my heart right now and I let you in. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. And thank you for saving me. And if anyone prayed that prayer here tonight, as we conclude, I'm going to be here. I want you to come up and tell me the decision that you made. If you're out in the coffee shop, I want you to make your way into the sanctuary. And and I want you to just tell me the decision that you made. I want to pray with you and give you some things and bless you. But for all of us, what my prayer is, Lord, is that we would be ones that we desire to draw closer to you and to walk with you. Lord, that you take us all home safely tonight, that our prayer would be that, Lord, I want to be one that draws closer to you, being blessed, that, Lord, I want to enlarge my territory, just being a godly influence to those who are linked to me in my life. Lord, I want to be one that to see your hand moving in my family, in this church family, in my own life, as we just yield to you. And we know that you want to do so much. And Lord, you desire 
You do a marvelous work. And Lord, that you would be one that, Father, that we would walk in holiness and we don't want to cause pain to you or to anyone else because of sin, disobedience, because of rebellion. So Lord, thank you for these reminders. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we've had together tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen.